I'm Paul Swinkler and welcome to another edition of Tech Interviews. So on this week's show, we're going to continue our look into the modern world of cybersecurity. Uh, you know, kind of what's changed, how we need to change modern strategies for dealing with the, the kind of the modern cyber threat that's high on, high on the priority list of, uh, of pretty much every enterprise, if not all enterprises. Uh, so my guest this week is somebody that um, we've, we've almost developed a double act, um, uh, myself and, and this week's guest. We've um, we've presented together on a number of occasions and, and we even have more things in the calendar that we're we're going to present together in the future. So um, so I thought I'd bring our, um, our wonderful double act uh, to the podcast this week so um so joining me is uh, edwin Viedema from veeam hi edwin how you doing hey hello paul there, there we are again yes <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, together <laughs> yes as though the world can't get enough of us um although this podcast might change that so um so so we'll, we'll yeah we're, we're going to kind of delve into uh well the, the topic that uh, that we seem to talk about an awful lot with people is, is this idea of kind of modern cyber threat um but before we do this um as i always do um why don't edwin uh, it's your first time on the podcast why don't you uh introduce yourself tell a little bit about uh, who you are what it is you do yeah um Edwin, uh <laughs> I'm a global technologist at Veeam, um, been in the business almost 30 years now, started uh, gl huh? gluing fiber cables together uh, way, way back, uh, first time in the, in the Netherlands when that was even uh, popping up, then just progressed into uh, consultancy jobs, architecture jobs, and now I'm in uh, global technology, presenting all over the world as a public speaker, and I'm completely focused on cybersecurity. Yeah, so it's um, so, so it's interesting. Actually, it's interesting. We'll kind of dig into this a little bit later on because we uh, we, we just had a little bit of a chat before we um, before we started uh, started recording um, about uh, as you said, you're focused on cybersecurity, but you work for a company who are in most people's eyes are a backup company. They're not a security company. They're they're not a company who who focuses on security. So um, so so it's interesting that that's that's kind of your role inside of a company who doesn't necessarily um it isn't necessarily seen as, as a company focuses on that but we we kind of dig into that i mean i suppose the place i wanted to start though was um something that we um often get asked when when we're presenting together is kind of um if you'd like to set a little bit of a scene about how you see the current security landscape so so what are the you know wh where are we right now what what from your experience as you said you know you, you speak um, speak around the world to to enterprises of all kinds you know what, what's the what's the general feel you know what's the general risk what what's what's the problems that you're seeing out there yeah if, if you look at what we're doing today uh, presenting about ransomware but then we have to go back like 24 months um, if you look at 24 months ago and you were speaking about ransomware you were like the one screaming in the desert and nobody was listening. Um, now, with all the headlines and people seeing what's going on there, people get worried and they're starting to, to investigate what that, huh, that problem or that security risk is on the block. But if you really want to know about that ransomware, we have to go back a little bit in time. So go back in memory lane. Um, the first ransomware attack was in 1989. And it was a physical disk five and a quarter floppy being sent to people's mailbox at home. So a physical envelope to 10,000 people. And that was the first that ransomware popped up. But 
how did we get there? And then we have to go a little bit further into history. It's like 1981, the IBM PC with the MS-DOS was being released. Before that, we had to ask for a time slot at the mainframe and you see my gray hair. So yeah, I was in that transition period. So I know how to request a time slot to have some worker power and some sources and some resources to do your thing, uh, but you had to share it. Like we're sharing our data now with the rest of the world, but that's another thing. We will zoom in that later. Um, that was the first thing to fuel it. And then we have to go further. Um, internet is being released to the public in 1991. And that one is interesting because that was connecting everyone together. So that is like creating a mass network for an attack. So an attack who would not be sending something to people's homes through a disk. But if you look at how that disk was sent, it was sent physical in an envelope to people to, to load. Um, and as soon as it popped up after 90 reboots of that machine, so that didn't start right away, but after 90 reboots, um, people were asked to send a physical check with a signature on. You had to ship that to a PO box in Panama. Yeah, and law enforcement, of course, had a field day. They could just sip coffee, wait at that uh, stakeout, huh? that mailbox, waiting for someone to pick up those checks. And that one got arrested real easily. But if you go further in time, 2008, the blockchain, cryptocurrency came on. All of a sudden, huh? the cyber criminals get the perfect getaway car. Bitcoins, not traceable at all, people think. Uh, it, it's, it's becoming a little bit different, but that's, they got the perfect getaway car. And that's where that whole thing just blew up and yeah, fueled. And if you look at the last 24, uh, 24 months, what did we do? We had COVID. So people were migrating or morphing from offices to their homes. And if you look at the security at the homes, um, I've seen so many friends and family. And if you go there and you just walk into their home, you just have to search for Wi-Fi and think, mm, wait a minute, that is like ubiquity. Oh, I know the, the standard password. Let's try. Ah, connected. Yeah, that's that's 99% uh, of the people are not IT people. So looking at the homes, they have uh, home devices. They have um, different things that are already automated in the house, but they're all still on default security. So yeah, an easy way in for a lot of cyber criminals. So they are targeting people now at home. And that's where the whole thing just accelerated. And if you look at some numbers there, um, in 2015, uh, it took like 120 seconds between cyber attacks. Today, it's 11 seconds between attacks. So we are I talking for a few minutes now. So already worldwide, a lot of attacks have happened. And if you look at the ransom they are asking, in 2015, um, like the damage was 325 million. If we look today, it's 10 billion. So you can see that there is enormous uh, yeah, threat and business out there. Um, and if I ask you, Paul, do you earn like 50,000 pounds per day? Uh, now, Edwin, you know I do. Um, and, and we said we wouldn't talk about that. Oh, so you are in cyber criminal business. Yeah, that, that's what's, what's happening. They make like 50,000 pounds a day. So we both are in the wrong business. But then ethics comes along. And then, yeah, I will be rather be on this side than on the other side, to be honest. 
but and I think that well, I think that makes a great point as well. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you said in there that you kind of the the, the evolution. I think particularly the evolution of the way that we work. You know, and and I'd say we've seen that accelerate over over the last you know 18, 24 months. But but that's not that's not that. So that wasn't something that wasn't happening. You know, we were already this more distributed work environment. I, I mean, I think you make a great point about that most people are not techies, you know, that most people are, um, you know, are consumers of technology and, and they're just using technology to do a job. You know, they're not, they're not using technology because they like technology, particularly they're using technology because it's the effective way to do things. So, you know, we're all running around with smartphones, laptops, tablets, um, businesses are deploying lots and lots of different types of devices, you know, and, and it's all of these things are kind of changing even the way that our IT infrastructure looks. And, you know, and I thought something actually kind of you wrapped up with there that, you know, that idea that people, if, if people sit there thinking that organizations are targeted specifically uh, for, because somebody just doesn't like them or there's some kind of ethical reason for targeting them. While that might be the case occasionally, I think the piece you just said at the end there, you know, that, that cyber criminality is an extremely profitable profitable way to make money you know it's it's um you know and and lots of the you know ransomware attacks that we we hear talked about you know lots of those are organized criminal gangs running those you know and cyber criminality is just a new part of um kind of a, a new part of their portfolio of crime if you like you know it's 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 no not necessarily uh you know not necessarily kidnapping people kids of rich people anymore it's i'll just at attack a business with ransomware that's so much so, uh, so much less of me getting my hands dirty if i'm going to do that kind of thing you know and that's a and even that in itself is kind of a huge shift because i think one of the things that um you know, one of the things that I see a lot, and I'd, I'd be interested what you think about this, Edwin, is, you know, what, one of the things that I see still is this idea that organizations, enterprises don't feel that they're under threat. You know, they don't feel that there is risk from, from cyber attack for them. You know, is, I mean, is that still something you see or have you seen that start to change? Are people starting to realize that actually we're, we're all potentially at risk from some kind of cyber attack? If I look at the number of engagements I had, like the last 24 months, people are waking up, um, but it's it's still in the myth. So people still think it's a myth. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I could be a target. Um, but then they start talking to each other. And we didn't have any physical events like the last 24 months, but that's changing now. I've been on stage uh, the last two weeks physical and people start talking to each other. And what I found out is that that myth is becoming reality fast. And people are starting to understand that, that they could be the next victim. They could be their next target. And then you become from myth eh, to reality, to survival. Because if you are going to be hit, um, it's gonna be a survival mode because it will be disrupting your whole business. It's, um, it's, it's a crisis. It's, it's not just a virus coming in and you have to remove the virus. No, it's just stopping every business process in this track so you will be shut down completely and that's also why i asked people in a room and i did that um, two weeks ago in antwerp and i asked them okay if everything shuts down in your company you cannot touch anything your machine's not working your data is not accessible how long can you survive as a business but better said how fast do you think your business can restore and i started with okay who can think that the business will be up and running in one hour again no hands. Then I asked one day. People were thinking, oh, one day. it's still a bit short. So one week. So some people were slightly raising their hands. 
But most of the people even thought that a month would be fast to restore. And that's shocking, to be honest. Uh, I think that's a, no, I think that's a really interesting point as well, you know, that we, um, one, I mean, we've talked there a little bit in our introduction about change. You know, we, we've talked about the way the cyber threat has changed, the way that we work has changed. And I think, and we, we were talking about this before we started recording, um, and I think it's a really, in, and it's something, you know, I, I, I've not been, I've nobody's had me on stage um, in, in the real world. I've not even had a meeting in the real world in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, they, they are, as I said, starting to come. But one of the things that we are, which is really interesting, I think has, has been a change. And even if you look over a short period, like maybe the last five years, that idea of cyber resilience, you know, that idea of having, we, we've all we've all worked in businesses where we've built business recovery plans, you know, and, and those recovery plans have been based on a data center going down, whatever reason that might be, fire, flood, um, loss of power, whatever it might be. And, we, and we've built our resilience plans around that. And I, and I think it's interesting that we, still don't necessarily see people building cybersecurity as part of their risk. You know, they don't, they're still, yeah, fire, flood, um, you know, plague of locusts, you know, they still, they still see those things as potential, but they don't necessarily see, you know, we've talked about ransomware a couple of times and, you know, while ransomware is not the only threat out there, it tends to be the most high profile one. So I think it's a good example to use, you know, they don't necessarily include ransomware as part of that broader um, resilience plan. And I think, as you were saying there about, you know, if you think about that, people thinking in maybe a month is quick recovery from from some kind of cyber attack, that if you went back five years, and let's just say this was the thing we're talking about before we started recording, if you went back five years, that for some organisations, they would probably be able to operate over that period. You know, certain, certain industries would have a plan that said, if we lost our IT system for one week, two weeks, a month, this is the plan, this is how we do that. But even, even now, you know, even in that relatively short leap of time, I think it's becoming almost impossible for an organization to run for any length of time and by any length of time, one or two days without their IT systems. Is, is, that, a, is that a change you're seeing? And, 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 and what's your view about this idea of cyber resilient planning? You know, are, are, people, are people starting to build those plans? Is it just the people I talk to who are not necessarily thinking about that at the moment? Yes, um, uh, talking about resilience, you have to think, um, a lot of people still think that ransomware is an IT problem. So if you look at IT resilience, they are looking at SLAs. So they uh, have yeah, everything designed around SLAs. If the server goes down, how fast do I have to recover? How fast do I have to bounce back? If you look at a flood or fire, it's been uh, focused and being viewed as a business resilience. But what has happened in those five years is that everyone is becoming reliant on IT or on digital systems. Let me say it like that. Um, and then you see two things morphing. The IT resilience and the business resilience is morphing into what I call digital resilience. If you look at the businesses, and I've been uh, with a lot of businesses also in this pandemic, also small and medium business. Normally, the bigger businesses, you say, okay, they already are reliant on IT systems because they automated a lot of things so they could do more with less people. But even the small and medium business people, our businesses, are now reliant on IT. If I look at uh, the one here, in the, you know, like a grocery store, before the pandemic, you just go in the store, you, yeah, you get your stuff, you go to the register, and you go. But because of the pandemic, some people could not come in there. So they had to um, create digital systems and processes. So not just on the back end to get supplies 
from the distribution, but now also sending, so also a logistic process on the front end. Um, and now the whole process is digital. So if something in that chain is interrupted, they stop their business. If, if it's in the distribution, they don't get any new supplies, so they cannot deliver anything. If it's on the front end, they cannot deliver to the customers. Um, and that's the thing, and that's where people have to be aware if you look at your own business and just look at your own business and then think, okay, I cannot touch my machine anymore. I cannot open any data that's in that system. What can you still do? And if you have an answer on that one, you already know if you're not reliant on IT, uh, on, IT on digital systems because we all digitized. If I go, normally I want to the bank to do um, to get money or to send uh, to, to deposit money. And now I do it just by my phone because it's all digital. So if that phone is not working and then I have a really bad day uh, because also traveling and all schedules and everything is in there. So if that thing is not working, I'm completely off hand there. But I think that's for most people now. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's so true. You know, it's interesting. You obviously show a smartphone there because, and you know, and this has accelerated hugely over kind of the, the course of, of the, the, the pandemic, that our reliance on phones, and, and actually not just our reliance, but the reliance of many, certainly here in the UK, you know, most places you go now are contactless. You know, they, they, they're, they're not taking cash. You know, it's, they're expecting contactless and contactless is for lots of people over their, over their phone. You know, it's, that's even, you know, in the, in the UK, we, we had the um, NHS COVID app for checking into places so that people could do this kind of track and trace idea. I, I don't know whether you had a yeah. equivalent in the Netherlands, um, but of course it was driven by phone. You know, that was the way you was doing it. You know, no, nobody, it wasn't a card, you know, so some places you could maybe write in name and telephone number, but the the whole process was driven by technology, you know, and I, and I think it's it's very true that the the world and this has accelerated, as we said, you know, it's accelerated a lot over the last eight eighteen months or so. Has become this increasing reliance on technology. You know, we we expect technology to work not just for convenience, but actually for these things to operate at all you know the workflow is very much technology based so well i mean maybe just to kind of change topic slightly because i think we you know we've we've, we've kind of moved into an, an interesting area here and, and one of the things that you do is you, you talk a lot obviously to to numbers of many enterprises whether it's presenting or whether it's advising you know and and, and for maybe for, for the listeners here who are kind of you know, taking a couple of things on board that we've talked about, you know, the changing landscape, the changing threat, the concerns about cyber resilience, um, and was it digital resilience, as you called it earlier on. Now, what, what, what are the kind of, so if I'm, I'm listening to this and thinking, well, where do I start? You know, what, what are two or, two or three things that you would normally advise as kind of a, an initial thing to look at to start to develop some, some improved digital resilience? Yeah, the first, and that's that's always the one that I start with. If you know about that morphing from IT resilience and business resilience into digital resilience, you also have to think about if you want to have a cybersecurity yeah, restore or a defense plan, you have to think about three things. You have uh, four things. The one in the middle, the heart, is the data, because that's the one that's been talked about, but that's also the one you're working with. Um, but around data, there are people. People are working with those data. Um, then we have processes, and those processes are like automated by technology. And if you want to be really fast, but also really resilient, you have to think in those three areas, people, processes, technology, because that builds up your business. 
It can be small business, can be a large business, but those three components are always in there. Um, then moving forward there, if you want to increase your resilience, I would start with the people. What we talked about before, 99% are not IT people. So you have to tell them um, what suspicious behavior. If, for instance, um, if you go on holiday to Barcelona, you have to run bus, you will see people walking like this through the street. That's normal behavior. But as soon as I see someone doing this, zigzagging between the lines, then I already, oh, where's my phone? Where's my wallet? Because that's abnormal behavior. And that's also because that's someone targeting people. We don't see that in digital because people are not trained on those particular symptoms. Um, they are not really aware what is abnormal. If you got an email in, <laughs> that's coming in asking you to deliver or click a link or uh, get some information out, people should already have that red flag. Oh, wait a minute. This is something that's that person that's zigzagging between the lines. So I have to do something with that. Um, and then also businesses start to be aware that people are really sharp. They can pick up those uh, particular symptoms, but they have to go somewhere or report it somewhere. So if there is nothing inside your company um, where they can report abnormal behavior, it stops there. And that's, that, that's a strange thing. Um, that's also why I always try to advise people in a business, start with the people and then your processes. Leave technology behind. Think of, uh, think of technology as an enabler later on. But if you know how people are thinking and working in your company, how those processes are working and what processes should be added on top of that to make sure that you are more cyber resilient there, then you can think of automating those processes with technology instead of doing what a lot of people are doing, it's an IT problem, so shift it down and IT should solve it. And they go out on the market and they try to buy that one golden box with a ribbon around it. That's like the holy grail and the silver bullet, the solution of all the problems, or the solution for all their problems. And it's not, because it's not there. You have to have multiple solutions depending on your organization and how you work. So start with the people, think about your processes. So as people think, of uh, find some abnormal behavior, they have to have a process they can just put it in. And then you can ask the experts or IT personnel to look into it and also see if there's a, a security breach going on or an attack going on. And then you can respond towards it. Otherwise, you're just uh, walking in the dark without any light. So, I, I, mean, I think I, I can't argue with any of that. You know, I, th I think, um, you know, they, they are messages that I, I use myself and I think they're ab absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think if you are looking at how you drive your your security strategy going forward, a kind of a modern security strategy to, to deal with the modern threats, I, I think those kind of four areas that you talked about. So focus on the data, you know, be data centric. I think that's hugely important because ultimately that's what the bad guy is after. You know, they, they either want to take our data or they want to make our data inaccessible to us because they know of the impact and actually in some cases you know as we're, we're seeing increasingly it's almost this double jeopardy not only something like a ransomware attack is not only encrypting the data but they're stealing it as well so even if you do get the data back the data's still gone and, and that opens up a whole bunch of risks but I think that way of dealing with it you know and that focus around 
people and processes is hugely important because I think it's easy for us as technologists and the people listening to this show or, or watching this video will also be technologists on the whole. It's easy for us to think there's a technology solution to all of this. And I think that thing you said about there that use technology as the enabler, as the enforcer almost, but the enforcer to getting the people and the process right and making sure that our people are educated, our people, like you said, understand how to not only spot something that's suspicious, but have a process that says, this is how you report it. This is how you deal with it. And I think they're ab absolutely brilliant advice. Now, and I think if, if people want to take just one thing from the show, take that little piece there. People process technology, think about the data. Well, look, Edwin, before we wrap up, I, oh, there's one thing I wanted to ask you. We kind of talked about this right at the beginning, that we talked about this idea that you are both focused on cybersecurity. That's a big part of, of your role over at Veeam. But, but people who look at Veeam will see Veeam as a backup or actually, as you've touched on here, a recovery company. So, you know, so, so uh, how come you have a role that focuses on cybersecurity in a company that is, isn't, you know, they're, they're not seen as a cybersecurity company? Yeah, then you have to go back and also what we have seen with other companies, there's an evolution going on. Uh, if you go five years ago, uh, people were not thinking their company was an IT company. If you look now and how the processes are, they are an IT company. If you look at Veeam, we are a security company. Why? We do in risk management. If you have risk management and you look at the NIST, you have five functions there. From the identifier to, huh, to the protect, to the detect, uh, respond and recover. And in two areas where are really big, and that's in the protection and the recover, but we also can do a lot of things in those other five functions. Um, that's also why I say Veeam is a security company. We work together. Um, there's no one huh, holy grail. There's no silver bullet. There's not one solution that can cover all. Because if you look at the what we call the traditional security companies, like a Trump Micro, a Sophos, um, they are doing detection, uh, threat, threat hunting. But they are more in the identifying part or in the detection part. Um, and as soon as, and that's people have to think about that, you cannot 100% secure your business. It, it's... Uh, or you have been hacked, or you're going to be the next in line. The only thing you can do is buy time, but I always say. Um, and if they come in, you have to have the strategy in place for all those five functions. So protect, and that means you have to have a backup. And yeah, it's, it's tedious, but you have to have a backup. And also make sure that you test those backups. I've seen too many times that people think they have a backup, and then they start enthusiastic to, to try, eh? try and recover that, and then nothing on the tape or nothing in there that's usable. So test your backups, people. And then the recovery phase. It's about recovering. And if you look five years ago, it was 5% that you had to recover because of a virus coming in, some people deleting something. Um, that was, okay, 5%. But now it's 100% because if they come in and it's a ransom attack, everything is locked down. You have to restore everything. And that's also where Veeam comes in. And that's also what I admire about our founders. They thought about that already years ago. If you look at Veeam itself, it's built and architected around recovery, not about backup. Yeah, backup, of course, because you have to have a 100% solid verified backup. So that's also in the product. But if you look at all the features we have, and that's about recovery, getting a disk back online, getting a VM back online, getting a container back online, getting the whole data center back online. And the last thing is really important. But that's also the, the real challenge we currently have as a whole in the whole industry and every organization out there. If you look at how infrastructures have been designed, they always had a focus on 
back up. Now we get the laws of physics. Now you have to do 100% restore. That's also why that question came from, okay, people, how fast do you think you can recover your organization? Because of that huh, uh, focus on backup, people didn't think about designing for recovery. And that's why we have to change. And if you have to change and we do that correctly, we can fight off this ransomware. And I think it will be changed in the next five years. And then ransomware, if you look at viruses, people don't talk about viruses anymore. But if you look 10, 15 years ago, that was like the hot topic at that moment in time. So if you think uh, we can restore and make sure that every infrastructure is built and designed for recovery, I think we can fight off ransomware. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. And actually, what the, one of the things I made a note of uh, when you were describing that was kind of this idea of risk management. You know, and I, and I think that's, um, you know, that y y you're right in that that's not been something that's necessarily had an IT focus in the past. But it, as you just said there, that it, it, it's important that we build our IT infrastructures with this kind of stuff in mind, you know, that we look at how we recover things, we look at how we protect things, we look at the way we design infrastructure for rapid recovery. So, you know, if we are going to be because it's not, it's probably over the top to say it's not, a, a, it's not if it's when because I'm sure there will be people who will go through their entire IT careers and never see a big outage in the organizations or organization they work for, you know, and that's that be, be, because that's how averages work, don't it? On, on average, there'll be some people who get hit, there'll be some people who don't. But but the risk is is significant. You know, the chances are relatively high that you're going to find yourself in a position where um, you, you are having to deal with this at some kind of scale. So so I think that risk management stuff is you know it, it is a really good way to wrap up. Actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good tip, and it's and it's interesting that Veeam can play such a big part across, as you said, those kind of five areas that NIST talk about in terms of how you're how you're protecting your business against the security threat and, and other risks. But obviously we've, we've, we've kind of focused on security today. So, um, well, Edwin, we're, we're kind of coming to, to, to the end of our time here. So before we go, if people want to find out a little bit more about either what you do or what Veeam are doing in terms of this kind of risk management security space, you know, for, for people who are, who've maybe not looked at Veeam in this way before, you know, what, what, what's a good way that they can find out more about that and, and more from you? Yeah, what they could do, they more than welcome to, to link me on LinkedIn. Um, just look for my name, look for Veeam Edwin, and you will find me. My last name, a lot of people will have some tr trouble pronouncing or finding it, but you will see it. But I'm also on Twitter at Viperian. Um, that's from my old hacker days and gaming days. So that's where that comes from. Uh, just send me a request or follow me or even go to theme.com and, and find out. Uh, we have some really nice white papers out now at the moment. I have been written uh, writing with uh, Rick Vanover. Uh, that's all coming in and zooming in into that five functions, how you can protect. And that's not just theme based. It's what we have tried to do in that white paper is give some handle and some insight for everyone to do risk management and how to fight off that. Huh? That pandemic, the digital pandemic that we currently have called ransomware. Well, Edwin, I think that's, that's great. And, and actually, I, I'll fully endorse those kind of videos and the, and the content yourself 
and Rick and all, all together have produced. Um, I think a lot of that is also publicly available either via the Veeam website or on Veeam's YouTube channel as well, I think. So, um, but Edwin, look, we've, we've kind of run out of time. This, I mean, it's such a big topic. I mean, we, we could have gone on for um, a, another hour easily, um, easily here. Uh, and I know when we, we present together, it's one of the, uh, it's one of the big challenges to try and meet a, meet a time slot, but we've managed to squeeze stuff into a, a 30 minute time slot again today. So Edwin, for now, look, uh, th- thanks for being on the show. Um, you know, I look, look forward to uh, having you on again at some point in the future and, um, and checking out our diaries and seeing when we get a chance to present in real life together. Cause I think most of the stuff we've, well, all the stuff we've done so far has been kind of like this, but uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to get on stage together and, uh, and cover some of this, uh, this topic that we're, we're both very passionate about. So, um, but for now, Edwin, look, thanks for being on Tech Interviews. Uh, it's great to see you again and uh, speak to you soon. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. And if you've got an idea for a show or would like to appear as a guest, then why not email me at podcast at techstringy.com. To make sure you catch the next Tech Interviews episode, then why not subscribe? You can subscribe in all good homes of podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. And you can subscribe to the video version of the show over on YouTube. So until next time, thanks for joining me.